Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at a basic foundational idea that we've spoken about dozens of times. But sometimes, you know, you have a basic idea, and you've been over the idea many times, and you have explained it many times, and then you encounter a statement by someone who manages to formulate the idea in a slightly different way, and it just gives you one additional degree of clarity or sharpness to your prior understanding. So that's what we're going to do today. So the text that we're going to focus on is one that we've read many, many times as as recently as this week, the opening paragraph of Epictetus's Enchiridion, the handbook. Epictetus writes, on the one hand, there are things that are in our power, whereas other things are not in our power. In our power are opinion, impulse, desire, aversion, and in a word, whatever is our own doing. Things not in our power include our body, our possessions, our reputations, our status, and in a word, whatever is not our own doing. Now, things that are in our power are by nature free, unhindered, unimpeded. But things not in our power are weak, slavish, slavish, I always forget how to say that, hindered and belong to others. Remember, therefore, that whenever you suppose those things that are by nature slavish to be free, or those things that belong to others to be your own, you will be hindered, miserable, and distressed, and you will find fault with both God and men. If, however, you suppose to be yours what it, only what is yours, and what belongs to another to belong to another, as indeed it does, no one will ever compel you, no one will hinder you. You will find fault with no one, reproach no one, nor act against your own will. You will have no enemies, and no one will harm you, for no harm can touch you. Okay, so I've said many times, this is the foundation of Stoicism, is that there's things in your control and things out of your control. Focus on the former and not the latter. <laughs> and if you focus on the latter, then you will become miserable. There are many, many, many Pesukim in the Torah, many teachings of Chazal and the Rishonim and uh, everyone that uh, that reflect or emphasize this idea in various ways. This morning, I would like to focus on the way this idea is talked about by Shlomo HaMelech, by King Solomon, in Kohelis, Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Uh, and this is the first six verses. Uh, and these are intentionally cryptic uh, <laughs> statements here, but we're we're going to get the main idea out of it. He says, send your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it. Distribute portions to seven and also to eight, for you never know what calamity will strike the land. If the clouds are filled, they will pour down rain on the earth. If a tree falls down in the south or in the north, wherever the tree falls, there it remains. One who watches the wind will never sow, and one who keeps his eyes on the clouds will never reap. Just as you do not know the way of the wind, nor the nature of the embryo in a pregnant belly, so can you never know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not be idle, for you cannot know which will be suitable, this or that, or whether both are equally good. So without going into the particulars, this passage really conveys the idea that Epictetus is saying, namely that there are these things that are outside of your control, or that you have no knowledge of, like the wind or like the gender of a, of a baby or what calamity is going to strike the land. But that should not prevent you from acting based on the knowledge that you do have with regards to the things that are in your control. So you you don't know what the weather is going to be like. You don't know which, whether your crops are going to succeed, but you should work and you should plant your crops. And maybe this will succeed. Maybe the other one will succeed. Maybe both of them will succeed. Maybe none of them will succeed. But the rational thing to do is to keep planting. Uh, okay. So with that in mind, and again, this is true of, uh, of all decisions in life that really you, you can only know what you know. Uh, and obviously you can, uh, you can take the, the steps to make sure that you have as much knowledge as you, as you can obtain before making the decision. But there are always going to be things that you don't know or things outside of your control. And you make the most intelligent decision you can given those factors, no matter what the result is. Okay. 
but the uh, the 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 problem comes when a person gets a result that is not successful and they did all the right things because what happens inevitably just it's hardwired into the way that we think is that is that if you get a bad result you start questioning your uh, your your decision making pro- uh, process or even worse you assume that you made the wrong decision. So this is where this new quotation that I found comes in. Okay, this is I read this in Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors, uh, where he interviews successful people about uh, th- what their life advice is, and this is from his interview with Julia Galef, who I had not heard of before. So here's her formulation for what you should do when something goes bad. Okay, she says, when something goes badly, I don't automatically assume I did something wrong. Instead, I ask myself. What policy was I following that produced this bad outcome? And do I still expect that policy to give the best results overall, occasional bad outcomes notwithstanding? If yes, then carry on. <laughs> okay. So in other words, again, this is not a new idea, but what she's saying, the, the, to me, the, the, the thing that clinched it is, is putting it in terms of process. So you get a bad result. You look back and you say, what process or what policy was I following that produced this bad outcome. I'm just rereading the quote. <laughs> what policy was I following that produced this bad outcome? And do I still expect that policy to give the best results overall, occasional bad outcomes notwithstanding? So in other words, you 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 go back and you you phrase the decision in terms of a policy and you you incorporate the acknowledgement that that policy will inevitably produce bad results on occasion and then ask yourself, should you keep doing this? Do you still expect the policy to keep the, to to give these uh, these the best results? And that just to me seems like a very effective way to think about these decisions. And and I think this has been particularly on my mind because I just listened to a podcast uh, from two of my uh, Magic of the Gathering uh, Rebaim. Marshall Sutcliffe and Louis Scott Vargas, where they were talking about how to apply strategies in gaming and specifically Magic the Gathering to life. And the the number one strategy that they always talk about is don't engage in results-oriented thinking, which is the opposite of the process that she's saying. And I wrote a uh, a blog post on this a while ago called, uh, the title is Keanu Reeves, Free Will and Results-Oriented Thinking. I'll include a link in the show notes, but I actually wanted to go back and reread my description of results-oriented thinking from that article because I think I, uh, I, I, think I wrote about it very clearly. So uh, here is what I wrote. Results-oriented thinking is the mistake of retrospectively judging one's actions by their results rather than by the decision-making process itself. The Chacham, the wise man, will assess each decision on its own terms irrespective of how it turns out, unless the results reveal a flaw in his decision-making process. He will recognize that there are factors beyond his knowledge and beyond his control, and that it is possible to make a good decision and still get poor results, or make a bad decision and get good results. In contrast, the fool who is caught up in results-oriented thinking, abbreviated as as ROT, or as Marshall Sutcliffe would say, someone who is rotty, okay, that was his uh, adjective for results-oriented thinking, so a fool who's caught up in results-oriented thinking will feel that if he got bad results, then he must have made a bad decision. And if the results were good, then he must have made a good decision. Instead of attempting to objectively analyze his decision based on the information available to him at the time, he will allow his mind to be clouded by hindsight bias and will read into his decision-making shoulds and shouldn't-haves based exclusively on how things turned out. Let us examine this fallacious mentality through a hypothetical scenario. I have a 20-sided die. I make a deal with my friend. Either he can bet on the number one or he can bet on the numbers two through 20. 
My friend is not a mathematician, but he intuitively senses that his odds are better if he bets on 2 through 20. So that is what he chooses to do. I roll the die. Lo and behold, it lands on 1. I win the bet and I'm happy. My friend loses and is upset. This is where we reach the critical juncture which separates the fool from the chacham. If my friend follows this loss by thinking to himself, I knew I should have bet on one. If I could do it over, I would have chosen differently. Then he is a victim of results-oriented thinking. He is a rotty fool, as it were. But if he is a chacham, then he will think to himself, well, it's too bad that I didn't win, but I clearly made the right decision to bet on 2 through 20, since that bet gave me a 95% chance of winning. If I had the opportunity for a do-over, I would make the same decision. And if he's on an even higher level, what Epictetus might call a stoic chacham, then he won't even be perturbed by his loss, since he is satisfied that he made the right decision and knows that his intelligent decision-making will benefit him in the long run. This type of stoic tranquility can be seen in in professional poker players. They know all the odds and probabilities and make their decisions based on the math. For this reason, they can lose hand after hand without losing their calm, since they are confident in the correctness of their decision-making and in their knowledge that they will profit in the end. So that's the end quote from my article. And again, in light of that, I just want to reread the question that Julia Galef asks herself. When things don't go the way she hoped, she doesn't automatically assume she did something wrong. Instead, she asks, what policy was I following that produced this bad outcome? And do I still expect that policy to give the best results overall, occasional bad outcomes notwithstanding? If yes, then I carry on. So I thought that was a very, very good, succinct, nuanced formulation for how to avoid results-oriented thinking. That is it for today's episode. If you've learned from what you've gained here? No, other way around. If you've gained from what you've learned here, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zell and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnayweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.